The overweening arrogance of Barack Obama cursed his party for the last eight years and led to the rise of Donald Trump. After spending nearly a decade acting as a political celebrity, Obama has now been replaced by an actual political celebrity. After spending a decade decrying Americans as racists and bigots, Obama has been replaced by a man who tells Americans they don't need to be ashamed of disagreeing with Obama. Obama, more than any other single personality except for Hillary Clinton, felt the wrath of the voters on November 9th. But there is good news, according to Obama. The election was not about him. He explained on a conference call with other Democrats yesterday, quote, let me tell you something. We got more done than any administration in the last who knows how many decades. Look, one of the challenges that I've discovered being president is I'd like to be organizer in chief, but it's hard. You got Syria, you got NATO, you got summit meetings, economic issues you have to deal with on an ongoing basis. You try to get legislation done. This morning, Obama added there is a mismatch between frustration and anger because people seem to think I did a pretty good job. This has been a running theme with Obama. The only reason Americans don't bow to his superior wisdom is we have been dramatically misinformed. If only the great sage of our age had the time to speak to Americans personally, you know, between the rounds of golf and the Kimmel appearances, he would have won. Hillary would have won. But it doesn't matter. After all, he's really, really popular. So clearly this had nothing to do with him. Now, if that sounds like a switch, that's because it is. Obama spent most of his campaign explaining his legacy was inextricably intertwined with Hillary Clinton's election. In a video he cut just weeks before the election, he said, quote, if you want to give Michelle and me a good send-off, get people registered to vote. If you care about our legacy, realize everything we stand for is at stake. Obama even called it a personal insult to his legacy if black voters didn't show up to vote for Hillary. But that's the wonderful thing about being a narcissist like President Obama. If something wonderful happens, it's solely due to you. Just remember Obama's self-glorifying announcement about the killing of bin Laden when it sounded like Obama rappelled down from a helicopter and put two in bin Laden's face. If something terrible happens, however, it's not Obama's fault. It's everybody else's fault. It's this sort of narcissism that lies at the root of Democrats' defeat in 2016 and future defeats if they continue to do this routine. They think their losses have nothing to do with them. It's just because of Republican malfeasance and cruelty, and so they don't bother to change their behavior. Well, thank God for that. The more they insist they're impeccable, the more they double down on losing strategy. So, for the last time, thanks, Obama. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All righty, so... We begin today. We have so much to talk about today. Uh, we'll get to the update from DePaul University. The reason that I'm broadcasting from this hotel room, as you can see, this beautiful, luxurious hotel room and not our normal studios uh, with, the, with the Western Barnwall background, uh, is because I am uh, broadcasting from Chicago, where Rahm Emanuel will be bursting down the door at any moment to drag me away uh, and call me an illegal immigrant. But before we get to all of the content that we have for you, and there's plenty, first I have to give a shout out to our new advertisers over at CISO. CISO is S-E-E-S-O.com. And this is a streaming comedy network. So it's all comedy all the time, commercial free. It's like three ninety nine a month. And they've got all the old episodes of Parks and Rec and all the old episodes of The Office with Ricky Gervais. They've got the entire Monty Python catalog. It's bingeable comedy for people who really like comedy. It's CISO.com, S-E-E-S-O.com. They have a bunch of original series as well. And if you go to CISO.com right now and you use the promo code BEN, you get two months for free. So if you're looking at the world and thinking, Boy, I could use a little comedy. CISO.com is the place for you. My wife and I love it. We use it all the time. CISO.com, again, use that, that, that promo code Ben, and you get two free months, and you can watch comedies of your choosing without commercials. Okay, so lots to get to today. So first, the update from, uh, from DePaul. So I'm supposed to speak at DePaul University tonight. Now, as you may recall, DePaul University banned me uh, about, what would have been, about a year, not even a year ago, maybe six months ago, 
because Milo Yiannopoulos spoke here, and the students went nuts and rushed the stage. And so they decided that instead of punishing the students for being terrible people uh, and for violating basic standards of Western civilization, uh, they decided instead to, to ban Milo, and then they also banned me for good measure, just because there had been a basic riot over at Cal State LA. So here is the situation right now. They banned me. The Young America's Foundation chapter here invited me. They also invited Christina Hoff Summers, who's a wonderful theorist about feminism, uh, to speak tonight. Uh, when they found out that I was coming, they immediately threatened to cancel the entire event if I were to speak, to which I said, okay, fine, I'll just come and I'll sit in the audience. And if I have a question that lasts half an hour, then that'll be okay. But they said, no, we can't even allow you to sit in the audience now. So now that they are actually threatening that if I step on campus, this is the latest, they are threatening that if I set foot on campus, they will arrest me, is, is my understanding of the situation. Uh, although I would like clarification from the local police department uh, that will be forced to take me to lockup if I set foot on campus. Don't worry, we have contingency plans. We will go forward uh, as planned. Things will happen tonight, and it'll be a lot of fun. We'll be streaming all that. But it does demonstrate uh, the insanity and weakness of the left. Meanwhile, it is amazing that the same left that will activate the cops to shut down free speech in a room that is a lecture, they have nothing to say about these massive protests that are taking place across the country, people being beaten up, things being shut down, freeways being shut down, streets being shut down. Uh, the left is truly an astonishing display of hypocrisy and, and fascism, um, and we will bring you that live. I mean, I'm, I'm actually, I will go to campus, and we will, we will bring that to you, we'll live stream it, uh, we'll have a bunch of people taping it. Uh, there's supposed to be some massive protests. As I say, my understanding is they're not going to allow me on campus, uh, and we will see whether that is true or not. Meanwhile, the left continues to demonstrate just why they lost and why they deserve to lose morally. The left always deserves to lose morally, but the real reason I think that they lost in this election cycle is people just got pissed off at the left. People just said, you know what, we are so sick of this crap. You and your whiny baby attitudes, you and your calling everybody racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe, it's very tiresome and we're just done. We're not going to do that anymore. That's not stopping the left from, from doing more of what the left likes to do. For example, here is a, a woman who was on Facebook live streaming herself and berating an Iowa police officer for committing the grave sin. This Iowa police officer committed the grave sin of a wearing a black band around his arm in honor of a fallen officer. You're live. We're building an audience for you. Okay, we're streaming live at Rue in polite downtown Cedar Rapids. We got the popo wearing the black thing on her badge. Guess she's sorry a couple of cops got whacked in Des Moines, but she doesn't give a shit about the man who's in critical care at the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics with a bullet in his neck from one of her vicious thug brothers in blue. I don't know what to say, y'all. I think this uh, WITCH is going to seriously arrest me because some uptight Iowan a hole thought I was impolite. Tell that police girl she has a cute ass and she can spend the night in my solitary bedroom. My friend Dennis just put that up. Where am I? Bruhemia. Stop this idiot. So she live streams this whole thing. Apparently the black band is, is around the badge. You can't see in the video, not, not around the arm. In any case, this is what the left is. The left takes glory in this. This is sort of reminiscent of that woman who live streamed her, her, uh, her conversation with an Uber driver where she lectured an Uber driver about cultural appropriation because he had a hula dancer on his, on his dashboard. The more the left exposes itself, this is the beautiful thing about social media. It's why we're going to have lots of cameras there tonight. 
the beautiful thing about all of this is that the more the left exposes itself, the more they demonstrate just why Americans should not trust them with anything under any circumstances. And I may not like the form that the backlash took in the form of Donald Trump, but the backlash itself is wildly justified, and the left deserves everything they get from all of this. Meanwhile, the left continues to double down. Most Americans are not in favor of illegal immigration. Most Americans are not cool with illegal immigration. We may say that you know, people who have illegally immigrated a long time ago and have proved that they just want to be here to work, that those people, maybe we should provide them a pathway to legalization. But the vast majority of, of people believe that criminally legal aliens particularly should immediately be deported, and people who are living off the public dollar should also be deported, because they didn't follow the rules, because we do have rules, and because any country has the right to uphold its borders and determine who's coming in and who is going out and, and whether those people deserve to be here or not. That's not stopping the left from doubling down on their full embrace of illegal immigration. Rahm Emanuel, who is the mayor of Chicago, again, a city where I am presumably banned from speaking on campus, enforced by local law enforcement under the control, I guess, of, of Chicago PD or with, in association with Chicago PD, that's bad. But Rahm Emanuel says, we'll definitely make sure that we never arrest anybody who's an illegal immigrant. Here's Rahm Emanuel, former chief of staff to President Obama and now mayor of Chicago. Important for families that are anxious, it is important for children and adolescents that are unsure because of Tuesday to understand that the city of Chicago is your home. You are always welcome in this city. Always. <laughs> to be clear about what Chicago is, it always will be a sanctuary city. To all those who are, after Tuesday's election, very nervous, is filled with anxiety has been spoken to. You are safe in Chicago. Okay, so you're safe in Chicago. The local law enforcement will not cooperate with the feds. And he's not the only one saying this. The LAPD chief, Charlie Beck, he said that they're not going to cooperate with the feds either with regard to deportation and immigration. Uh, a councilman from Boston said the same thing. Here's this, uh, this councilman from Boston saying the same routine. Trump's hard line is causing some sanctuary cities to push back and reaffirm their status. Boston is a sanctuary city. City Councilor Tito Jackson is worried that undocumented residents will be afraid to go to the police for help or even send their kids to school. Uh, the police department, if you call them and you need help, they will help you and they're not going to turn you into uh, the feds. Mayor Walsh is also staying the course, saying in a statement, we are a welcoming city for all. These are Boston values and no policy will change them. Okay, so they're saying that they're not going to change policy there either. And this is not a big surprise. I mean, the Democrats are wedded to illegal immigration. They hope to eventually give a lot of illegal immigrants the right to vote, and then they can change the demographic of the voting population in the country. That's the goal here. By the way, when people say pathway to legalization, that does not mean pathway to voting. You can give somebody legal status. My wife had legal status in the United States for many, many years. She had a green card, but she wasn't actually given citizenship until I think it was five years ago, six years ago. Um, so, yeah, the, you, you can have, there are lots, millions of people living in the United States legally who don't have the, the right to vote. So it is worthwhile making that distinction. But what, what all these folks are saying is we're not going to help out the feds. Now, I think that it is worthwhile noting that the left now is in love with federalism. The left now loves federalism. Right? So it, it used to be, I'm old enough to remember when the state of Arizona, under Jan Brewer, Governor Jan Brewer, they were in favor of what they called Senate Bill 1070. And Senate Bill 1070 said to the feds, okay, look, when we arrest people, we're going to take down their illegal immigration data, and then we are going to hand them over to federal law enforcement. And Barack Obama sued the state of Arizona, saying, stop enforcing federal law. It's our job not to enforce federal law. And so federalism was bad from Barack Obama's perspective. 
Federalism is constantly bad from President Obama's perspective. He said this about gay marriage. He said this about abortion. We have this hodgepodge. It's really terrible. It's hodgepodge of laws. Well, when it comes to Republicans now dominating the federal government, then all of a sudden federalism is back in style. And this, of course, is why federalism is a wonderful thing. Let Chicago try and do what Chicago is trying to do. And yes, the local law enforcement has no obligation to enforce federal immigration law. They don't. I mean, the federal government has the obligation to enforce federal law. The federal government can attach strings to the, to the city for not enforcing federal law. They, 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 can, they can say to the city, we're going to cut off your subsidies if you don't enforce federal law. But federalism is a wonderful thing. I just find it hilarious that the left is suddenly in love with federalism again after spending an enormous amount of time saying that federalism is the end of the world and the worst thing that ever happened to anybody. That I do find amusing and, uh, and kind of incredible. So they will continue to push forward, though, with this radical left agenda. I don't know if they assume that they're just going to come back next time and sweep to victory because people were asleep during this election cycle on their side or whether they think that the demographics are moving in their favor. But they're clearly doubling down on everything that they already think about how elections work. They're clearly already doubling down on everything they already think about politics, which is a pretty amazing thing. Uh, we'll take a quick break and say hello to our friends over at Birch Gold, by the way. Uh, if you're worried about what the economy is going to do, if you're concerned that Janet Yellen's going to raise interest rates, and if you're concerned that the stock market and real estate market are overvalued uh, and that chaos is ahead, you may want to take some of your money and put it into precious metals. My friends at birchgold.com, birchgold.com slash Ben. Uh, these, are the, these are the people who will help you invest in precious metals. They can help you reinvest your IRA or 401k into precious metals and protect yourself from the vicissitudes from, of, of the market. Uh, they do have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. I think you should ask all your questions of them. They have a 16-page free kit about investing in precious metals. You should give them a call, uh, or you should check out their website at birchgold.com slash Ben if you're interested in putting part of your assets in precious metals. Okay, President Obama, too, he, too, is doubling down. The doubling down never stops with President Obama. Again, the nice thing about Obama being a textbook narcissist, one of the wonderful things about him being a textbook narcissist, is he has never done anything wrong ever. So he was asked yesterday by NBC's Chris Jansing about whether he feels any responsibility at all for the election of Donald Trump. And clearly he should. Right? Clearly he should. I mean, the fact is that Donald Trump was a direct response to Barack Obama in a thousand ways, everything from political celebrity to political celebrity, everything from race baiting to anti-race baiting on, on part of white folks, the idea that Obama was saying that all the white folks in America were implicitly biased, or Hillary said that. And then Trump said, you, you don't have to feel like a racist just because you oppose Obama. The fact that Obama ignored the concerns of so many members of the population by running roughshod over them and hanging with celebrities. And here comes Trump, who clearly doesn't give a crap about other celebrities very much. Uh, in, in a thousand ways, all of this is a response to Obamaism. Obama's asked if he bears responsibility. And as you can imagine, his answer, nope, not in the slightest. And you answered, talk to me if he wins about how responsible I feel about it. I wonder, do you feel any responsibility for the election of Donald Trump? Well, first of all, I think it's fair to say that I was surprised by the election results, uh, and I've said so. Um, I still don't feel responsible for what the president-elect says or does, but I do feel a responsibility as president of the United States to make sure that I facilitate a good transition, and I present uh, to him, as well as the American people, my best thinking, my best ideas about how you move the country forward. Uh, to sp speak out with respect to areas where uh, I think the Republican Party is wrong, uh, but to 
pledge to work with them on those things that I think will advance the causes of security and prosperity. And he just avoids the question. Do you feel any responsibility for Trump being elected? Well, I feel a responsibility to keep doing exactly what I'm doing. I mean, that, that was not the question. Of course he doesn't feel responsibility. He's a pathological narcissist. He's never done anything wrong. That's why every time he's asked a question about why the American people don't like one or another of his policies, his immediate response to all of that very clearly is, I don't care what the American people have to say. If only I had spoken more clearly to them, if only they were wise enough to understand little old me, everything would have been fine. Obama did try to give his explanation of what happened in this election. He said people are obviously disaffected, but he doesn't explain why they're disaffected. In this situation, uh, we're turning over a country that has challenges, has problems, and obviously uh, there are people out there who are feeling deeply disaffected. Otherwise, we wouldn't have uh, had the results that we had in the election. On the other hand, if you look at um, the basic indicators of uh, where the country is right now, the unemployment rate is as low as it's been in eight, nine years. Incomes and wages have both gone up over the last year faster than they have uh, in a decade or two. Uh, we've got historically low uninsured rates. Uh, the financial systems are stable. The stock market is uh, hovering around its all-time high, and 401ks have been restored. The housing market has recovered. Uh, we have challenges internationally, but uh, our most immediate challenge with respect to ISIL, uh, we're seeing significant progress in Iraq. Yeah, we can stop him there. I mean, again, they ask him, they, they, remember, the question here was, what exactly do you think happened here? And his answer was, people are disaffected. And then he gives an entire list of what a wonderful job he does. So the answer really is, according to President Obama, because the people are morons. The people are stupid. Right? If they only understood how grand and glorious Obama's been, if only he had, let's say, a compliant media to repeat 24-7 how wonderful Obama is, or if only he had a bunch of Hollywood celebrities to talk about constantly what a wonderful man he is, or if only he had the UN to talk about how wonderful he is, or if only he'd won a Nobel Prize. Oh, wait, he had all of those things and he still lost? Yeah, maybe because people are disaffected for a reason. It's this sort of blindness that leads to a, a catastrophic electoral losses. Again, Obama's narcissism led them down the primrose path here. Obama insisted that the Obama coalition, which, which kept alienating lower class, lower, lower income white voters, the, the, the same coalition that alienated a bunch of people in the middle of the country who were sick of watching Obama hobnob with Jimmy Fallon, he keeps saying those people are just dumb. That's all it comes down to. Those people are just stupid. Right? And that sort of scorn for the voter is not going to, is not going to work in any real way. Now, he did say one thing that I thought was, was true. Now, I, I have to give Obama credit. When it comes to the transition to Trump, he's actually done a good job. He's actually staying out of the way for the most part. He's not throwing too many bombs. I would like to see Donald, I would like to see President Obama condemn the rioting and, and protesting that's occurring because Trump was elected. But aside from that, you have to acknowledge that he's doing a good job with the transition. He's told a lot of lies, however, about why this happened in the first place. Um, but. I think he did tell one truth, and it's kind of an important truth, and it speaks to where the Republican Party goes from here. This is President Obama talking about what he thinks of Trump ideologically, what he thinks of him philosophically. He says that Trump isn't really a conservative, he's a pragmatist. Uh, I don't think he is ideological. Uh, I think ultimately is, he's pragmatic in that way. Uh, and uh, that can serve him well. 
as long as he's got good people around him and he has a, a clear sense of direction. Okay, so he says that he's a pragmatist, he's not an ideologue. I think that that is basically right. I think that, that Donald Trump considers himself a pragmatist, just a guy who's going to get stuff done. Now, in American politics, there's a really unfortunate tendency to buy into this kind of bull. And it is bull. When people say that they are just pragmatists, that they just look at the facts in front of them and they can make a decision about the best policy, that is never true. That is never true, because how you see the facts is shaped by your worldview. If you see man as inherently good, that's going to change how you see the facts. If you see man as, as capable of both good and evil, that changes the facts. If you see freedom as inherently dangerous, that changes how you look at the facts. If you see freedom as the highest purpose of mankind, then that changes how you see the facts. Ideology, philosophy matter. It's what we talk about every day here on the program. I don't think that, that Trump really has a, a core philosophy or a core belief system. And that tends toward bigger government. It tends toward more executive power. It tends toward the idea that all policy can be decided just by the great god kings of wisdom who sit on high and rule us. And, and I think that there is some truth to that about Trump. If you look at the people historically in America who have called themselves pragmatists, Woodrow Wilson was probably the first president to call himself openly a pragmatist. He said, I'm a pragmatist. I'm an expert. My job is to get the experts in a position to make great decisions to help you, the people. And of course, he ended up exponentially growing government because either the experts are capable of running your life or you're capable of running your life, but not both. And he thinks that, you know, Woodrow Wilson thought the experts were capable. Barack Obama coming into office, he kept describing himself as a pragmatist. But it turns out that in order to be a governmental pragmatist, you actually have to believe deep down that government has the power to change things for the better enormously. If you believe that, that's what makes you a pragmatist with the government. Because if you're a pragmatist of conservative bent, you say, okay, I think the government kind of sucks at everything. Like, for example, I think that it's pragmatic to talk about drug legalization because the government sucks at the war on drugs. They're really quite terrible at it. Okay, that's a, that's a pragmatist philosophy, but it's not pragmatism driving that. It's a basic idea that the government is bad at things. You can be pragmatist on the other side and say, well, the government obviously isn't doing enough on the drug war, so we need to pour money into it. Every set of facts is going to be viewed differently based on what your worldview is. Your worldview is going to help dictate how you see any particular set of facts. And the fact that people who call themselves pragmatists are rarely conservatives, people who say that as a, as a practical thing, I'm going to leave the government and then I'm going to do what's good for America, uh, that never ends well. And I, and I do think that, that President Obama is largely correct about Donald Trump on this. He's going to be an ad hoc policy guy. I'm hoping he's surrounding himself with some of the right people. We'll go through some good Trump, bad Trump in a minute, talk about some of his appointments. Some of them are quite good. Some of them are, are a little more questionable. Um, and uh, we'll get to all of that in just a minute. But to do that, you have to go over to dailywire.com because we have to end over at Facebook and YouTube. Go to dailywire.com and subscribe. You can check us out over there. And, uh, and $8 a month will we'll buy you access to the rest of this podcast live. Plus, you get to be part of the mailbag. You get my book. If you get an annual subscription, you get my book for free, True Allegiance, signed, uh, which is pretty cool. Plus, we have a bunch of other goodies that are coming up. Uh, in the next in the next few months you also right now if you subscribe then you can actually get rid of the ads on the page which is pretty neat so make sure you check that out dailywire.com to become part of the most the most listened to conservative podcast in america Alrighty, so all of this out of the way you know the pragmatism and all the rest of it the democrats continue to be to be futzing around they don't know how to figure this out they're not sure what to do so Bernie Sanders is, is out there, and he's actually giving some pretty good advice to Democrats, and they're shunting him aside. They're not interested in hearing what the socialist septuagenarian asylum escapee has to say. Here is, here is Bernie Sanders talking 
about why it is that so many white supposedly underclass voters voted for Donald Trump. By the way, I think it's worth noting that in terms of income, Donald Trump won every income bracket above the $50,000 earning level, and he lost the ones underneath it. So the talk about, you know, he only won poor white people, it just isn't true. It's not true at all. You know, statistically speaking, he won more minorities uh, than, than Mitt Romney, and he won fewer white people than Mitt Romney. So it's kind of, it's kind of I mean, it's, it's just a bizarre election. But Bernie Sanders, here he gets it right, and the Democratic Party is definitely going to ignore him. Because what the media doesn't understand, what the establishment doesn't understand, is there are tens of millions of people who are not racists, who are not sexist. They're hurting. Okay, and he's, he's exactly right there. Excuse me. He's, he's totally right. I mean, the fact is that, that most people are reacting to being called racist and sexist. And it's not just that they're hurting and so they went to Trump. It's mostly that. Right? This is the part where Sanders gets it wrong. It's not about they want redistributionism, per se. It's that Trump gave, he did, he gave them a voice, sometimes in a negative way, but he gave them a voice by saying, look, you don't have to be ashamed of not agreeing with Barack Obama. You don't have to believe the mainstream media nonsense that you're racist or sexist for not liking Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama's policy. You can be proud of being an American on your own merits. You're not, you, you don't get an extra couple of points taken away from you just because of the color of your skin. And I think that, that the underlying message there was a victorious message for Donald Trump. The Democrats keep ignoring it. Sanders isn't, by the way. Sanders keeps saying that he wants to work with Trump to help working people. Trump, all the way through this election, kept making overtures to the Bernie Sanders people because he actually is, is a leftist on trade. Uh, and Sanders is now making overtures from the left to the right on this. Trump has a fair point, something I've been saying for a long time. Workers all over this country are seeing their jobs going to China and Mexico. Their wages have gone down significantly. Let's create a trade policy that gets corporate America to start investing in this country. We're going to list all the things that he said. You want to raise wages? Hey, count me in. We got a starvation minimum wage now of seven and a quarter an hour. Let's raise it to 15 bucks an hour. Are you with me, Mr. Yep. I mean, and, that's, and, and the fact is that he's now pushing kind of the leftist version of populism. Now, this is, for, for folks, just you know, pay attention. What Bernie Sanders is doing is populist. So when people say that Trump has replaced conservatism with nationalist populism, there is a version of nationalist populism that is actually leftism. Right? There's, there's sort of right-wing-leaning nationalist populism that focuses on borders and focuses on culture and focuses on tariffs. And then there's a left-wing populism that says, okay, well, we got to protect ourselves, but the way to protect ourselves is through massive redistribution schemes that are directed toward the common man. And, and it is dangerous to play with populism because that's a fire. It's, it's, it's actually a tactic. It's not a philosophy. People mistake a tactic for a philosophy. Appealing to the common man is a tactic. It is not a philosophy. Trump did it, and he did it sometimes from the right and sometimes from the left. Bernie Sanders does it from the left. If we're entering a new era of populism, and the idea is there's no such thing as right and wrong, it's just about doing whatever the little guy wants, well, what if the little guy is wrong? I mean, we, I acknowledge fully and, and agree with the fact and have been stumping for years for the idea that the elites are wrong. Um, but I, I don't believe that you know the, the collective little guy is right either. I think that you as an individual have a right to make your own decisions, whether you're rich or poor, and that doesn't change. The, the sort of class distinctions that are made by both Trump and Sanders may be politically valuable and they may be political winners, but I think they do a great deal of disservice to the American experiment, which is based on the idea that you're an individual, not a member of a class or a member of a racial group. And I wish that we'd return to that time, but apparently we're not. Uh, a lot of our entire politics is broken down into race and class. It's, it's broken down into identity group politics as opposed to individualism, which is really where I think freedom lies. Okay, so all of that said, it's clear that the Democrats aren't going to take Sanders seriously, even though he's making a strong pitch. 
that they need to reach out to people and stop calling them racist, sexist, bigot, homophobes. Here's a former Clinton spokeswoman uh, who comes forward and she says, you know why Hillary lost? She lost because, you guessed it, everybody's a sexist. Uh, women, particularly Republican yeah. women, white women, we should be clear, women of color overwhelmingly voted for her and have overwhelmingly voted for every Democratic yes. presidential candidate. But she, uh, among white women, uh, didn't do any different uh, than essentially Obama in 2012, a point better. Yeah. How do you make sense of that? I mean, internalized misogyny is a real thing, and this is a, a thing that we we have to be talking about as we go through and see. What does that, that mean, though? Turn my like guess is, it, look, it, the president said it the best during this whole campaign. We, as a society, react poorly to women seeking positions of power. We are uncomfortable by it, and then we seek to justify that that uncomfortable feeling because it can't possibly be because we don't want to see a woman in that position of power. We need to, as we as we go through these numbers, as we figure out exactly what what happened with turnout. It seems to be white college-educated women. My guess is that breaks down married, unmarried. My guess is it breaks down older, younger. Yeah. But we have work to do talking to those women about what happened this year and why why would why we would vote against our self-interests okay so the fact is that you know again it, the more that the democrats keep pushing this not, this notion now she's calling women sexist right if women voted for trump then women are sexist if blacks voted for trump then blacks are racist if if you're all if, if you're just a hammer and you're in, and the only tool you have in your tool bag is calling people racist sexist bigot homophobes you have to keep hammering even at, even if there's no nail, even if the nail is gone. And that's what the Democrats are doing. And every time they do this, all they do is alienate more people. Again, it's amazing. Back in 2012, the Democrats understood that Mitt Romney saying that 47% of the American population wanted to live off the benevolence of the government, that that was a bad move. Don't attack the voters. Okay, now Democrats are attacking the voters wholesale, and they weren't even during the election. Hillary Clinton said that all white people in America were subject to implicit bias and that she was going to lecture them on their implicit bias and make the implicit bias all better. And you can't do that to the American people for too long because people are going to start to rebel. Now, I wish they wouldn't rebel along tribal lines. I think there is some of that. I think there's, there is an idea, and it's not for the vast, 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 vast majority of voters. I think there's a small group of voters on the alt-right who say, well, you know, there have been black interest politics and identity politics. There are Hispanic interest politics and identity politics. Why can't there be white people identity politics and interest politics? And the answer is because interest politics, identity politics, those are bad things. Those are bad. And I don't want to see that grow. But unfortunately, I think the more the left pushes, the more it's going to grow on both sides just because people tend to be reactionary. Okay. So all of that said, now it's time for a little bit of, you know, he's the president-elect. It's time for a little bit of good Trump, bad Trump. Let's do it. And thanks to Brandon Snipes, as always, for the theme. Good Trump, bad Trump, which one will we get today? Alrighty, so Donald Trump is back on Twitter, and uh, somebody really, really needs to take away his Twitter. And I understand the triumphalism among Trump people. Hey, don't tell him to change you on. You can't tell him. I can say that it's not the greatest thing in the world when the president of the United States just tweets out his random thoughts at odd hours of the morning. I think that you know we should have a consistent standard of what we expect from the president of the United States, and it doesn't just change because you like the guy who's in power. A perfect example. This is a picture that I'm about to show you. This is a picture uh, from, uh, from a House GOP meeting today. And it says, House GOP, ready to make America great again. Kathy McMorris Rogers is giving hats to members this AM. So they had a big House meeting uh, with, with, I think it was Mike Pence and Donald Trump uh, and Paul Ryan. And they put MAGA hats, they put the red hats on every seat of the House. Uh, all, the, all the members of the House are supposed to wear these MAGA hats. I'm old enough to remember when cult worship was a bad thing. 
I'm old enough to remember when worship of a president was a bad thing. I thought it was our job to work with the president of the United States, but not to worship him. I didn't realize we all had to put on fan t-shirts. I thought that was a lefty thing. I I'm old enough to remember when I was making fun of Obama folks for wearing the Obama Hope t-shirts around. And, and in 2012 at the DNC, when they decided to change the, the logo of the party from the donkey to the Obama O. And now I'm seeing the right do some of those same things. I hate that crap. I think it's garbage. I hate all trappings of royalty. This is just another trapping of royalty. I think it's stupid. Now, I hate the State of the Union address for this reason. Uh, I am perfectly consistent on this. I think that worship of politicians is a bad, bad, bad mistake. And the fact that the Republicans are starting to fall into that because they're real happy they won, I'm happy they won, too. I'm happy that Hillary Clinton isn't in the White House. But that doesn't mean that you should start with the premise that you're going to agree on everything. Here's a MAGA hat. Like, come on. Come on. I mean, just... Like, this is not, he won. Yes, great. Now let's move on to what are you going to do to help the country? And, uh, and so this, this I think, it falls under the category of bad Trump, not his fault. This is Kathy McMorris Rogers' fault. I also think that there is a tendency from Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and a lot of the Republicans, they've caught on to Trump's game. And it's the same game a lot of foreign leaders used to play with Obama, because Obama, too, is a pathological narcissist. And the game is flatter Trump, and Trump will be nice to you. And so Speaker Ryan is doing that. McMorris Rogers is doing that. Uh, obviously, Ryan's previous did that, and it worked out well for him. Flatter Trump, he will be nice to you. Be mean to Trump, and Trump will and Trump will punch back twice as hard. Trump, will, an eye for an eye. So that's that. You know that that is what it is. Uh, other bad Trump, and he's now talking about Laura Ingram for for press secretary. Here is uh, Laura Ingram, the 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 shill radio host. She's been shilling for him since the primaries. I wanted to get you on before you get drafted by the Trump oh, people. Yeah, to be, so would you take the job? You know, I'm, I'm honored to be considered for that job and, and, and other jobs. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But um, I would look, look you're my, you are my old friend. And I'd tell you, but uh, I think people are getting a little far ahead of the narrative. But you is, know, it, is it hard for I mean, you've been trained for you yeah. know, as long as I'm 20 years, as long as I've known you to give your own opinions. Is it hard for people who have a life like yours to uh, sort of transition to? You a, know, I'm, I'm sure there is an adjustment period. Uh, yeah. You know, I have my company, Life Zet, you know, radio, yeah. Fox, you know, I write a bunch of books. So it's a, you know, it, it's a big decision. But I'm at the point where if my country needs me and if I could do something to actually, you know, advance uh, the Trump agenda, which is stuff I've written about now yes. for 15 years with trade and immigration and just renewing America, then I, I obviously have to seriously consider that. Okay, so, so Laura Ingram looks like she's seriously considering giving up uh, her radio show, which, which, you know, in the last couple of years has not been doing so well, that she's, she's moving toward uh, a position as press secretary. The reason that this is bad Trump is because, uh, again, Ingram is a pretty divisive figure. If you're going to pick somebody to, to do this job, presumably it would be somebody who's less divisive. But, again, I don't think it's horrible Trump. I don't think it's, I don't think it's horrible Trump. I think Ingram will do a good job. She's very smart. Uh, she, she's, very, she's very clever with words. Uh, she's not a very nice person, but that's it. But that's who said that you have to be nice in order to be press secretary. So it's kind of quasi mediocre Trump. I don't want to call that completely bad Trump. On the good Trump side, he's talking about for secretary of education, Michelle Reed. This would be an excellent pick. Michelle Reed was the head of the, the D.C. school board for a while. And she came in and she completely revitalized uh, the, the educational system in Washington, D.C. before the teachers unions threw her out on her ass. She's a big advocate of school vouchers and charter schools. Uh, she actually created a system where she had contracts with the unions that allowed people to get performance bonuses and it allowed younger teachers to escalate in the chain, uh, elevate in, in terms of earnings uh, as they did a better job uh, and got rid of bad teachers. Uh, Rhea would be a very, very good pick for Secretary of Education, far better than Ben Carson, who sort of withdrew his name from consideration, saying that he feels unqualified to hold the government job, which does beg the question as to why he thought he was qualified to be president in the first place. But, you know, we'll leave that aside. Okay, so that's a good pick. Um, some of the other names that are being tossed about 
there's a there's a fellow named uh, Chris Kobach, I think, uh, who's the, the Secretary of State in Kansas. They're talking about him for AG. He'd be very hardcore on immigration. Uh, that's about all I know about him. So as I find out more, I will bring it to you. They're talking Rudy Giuliani for Secretary of State, which just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Uh, Rudy uh, is great on a lot of things, but his experience in foreign policy is limited at best. And I'm not sure that he would understand how to maneuver around the State Department. John Bolton is clearly the best pick there. I'm hopeful that Trump chooses Bolton, although apparently he is much more warm to Giuliani because Giuliani will say what he wants. Bolton has a mind of his own, and, and that is a problem for Trump. So. That, that, that's kind of a rundown on the people who are currently being discussed. Jeff Sessions, apparently, is also a possibility for, uh, for Department of Defense. Uh, he would be just fine in that role. He was a member of the Armed Services Committee in the Senate. Uh, I know Senator Sessions. I think he's a good man. I think he's an honest man. I think that he signed up with Trump specifically because of his immigration plan and was forceful in advocating that immigration plan. Uh, Senator Sessions as Department of Defense uh, would, be, would be a good pick. So we'll continue to monitor this. And as we always say, you know, I think the best perspective the, the, the best perspective on the Trump administration will continue to be good Trump, bad Trump. Okay, time for a few things uh, thing I like and then some things that I hate. So, things I like. There's a great book by uh, Ann Applebaum uh, called Gulag. Uh, and uh, this book is, is really first rate. It's about the history uh, of the gulags. It is a, a really well-written book. Uh, Ann Applebaum was called a Polish-Jewish woman who is chic or something by Breitbart because that's what Breitbart does. Uh, they don't like her because she's not pro-Trump. Um, but this book is uh, this book is excellent, uh, and Anne Applebaum does understand the dangers of Russia, which is something I, I would hope that the that the new Trump administration would would shift its view on. Rudy Giuliani said yesterday something that's that's really quite nutty. He said that the reason that Russia is considered an, an opponent to us is because of us. No, it's because Russia invaded Crimea under 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 Obama, invaded Georgia under Bush invaded essentially has taken over Syria is backing Iran uh, yes Russia is a nefarious force there's no question and that's because of Vladimir Putin that's not because of America we've now done two straight administrations that have tried to reach out to Vladimir Putin and have seen uh, and have emerged with a knife protruding from between the shoulder blades uh, if Trump intends to do the same thing the knife will once again appear between the shoulder blades whether they like it or not okay time for a couple of things that I hate let's do it All right, so in line with the fact that uh, DePaul University is going to try and ban me today and, uh, and may threaten me with arrest if I show up, uh, aside from that, the other universities are, uh, are, are getting into the act as well. This is pretty amazing. On November 9th, this is according to Mediaite, the president of the University of Virginia, Teresa Sullivan, sent an email to students that called for unity after the presidential election and included a quote from Thomas Jefferson, who was a founder of UVA. In reaction to the email, according to the Cavalier Daily, professors from the psych department sent Sullivan a letter asking her to refrain from using Jefferson quotes because he once owned slaves. This was signed by 469 students and staff and included a statement that said, quote, we would like for our administration to understand that although some members of this community may have come to this university because of Thomas Jefferson's legacy, others of us came here in spite of it. For many of us, the inclusion of Jefferson quotations in these emails undermines the message of unity, equality, and civility you are attempting to convey. So every great thought by every great leader who lived in a society that tolerated slavery should now be cast out. It's just pathetic. I mean, and it does demonstrate the, the rise of identity politics. You can look at an idea and decide that an idea is good regardless of who spoke the idea. And I can say that Wagner's music, there's a lot of Wagner's music that I really think is great. He's still a garbage human being, but there's a lot of music that I think is really good that he wrote. You know, the fact that you have all of these people who are now promoting the notion that 
all of this stuff is to be thrown out is is amazing. Again, if you're going to do that, then I guess we can't cite the Declaration of Independence anymore since he wrote it. Since he wrote it, and put aside the fact that Frederick Douglass cited the Declaration of Independence routinely in his arguments against Jim Crow and slavery. Forget that Booker T. Washington used to cite the Declaration of Independence routinely. Forget the fact that, that Martin Luther King used to cite the Declaration of Independence routinely. I guess because Thomas Jefferson wrote it, we have to stop citing it. I mean, really, just insanity. Uh, they're not the only law school, by the way. The only school that's going nuts, by the way. The University of Michigan is also, they've also lost their mind. They, they, the law school issued a notice that they were going to hold a self-care with food and play post-election. And this involved playing with Play-Doh and having coloring books and positive card reading and card making rather card making and legos i mean the reduction of adults to children continues apace and then they wonder why people say screw you i'm voting for trump just insane just insane so uh, again the further the left pushes the worse they're going to lose and that is i think the, the delicious takeaway from this particular election whether you like trump or not well tonight we're over at DePaul. we'll give you the update tomorrow morning you can also watch the speech. We're going to live stream it at, at YAF. Uh, I think we're going to try and live stream it on our Facebook page as well. Uh, and, uh, and we'll give you the update, whether it's from jail or whether it's uh, from University of Wisconsin tomorrow, too. So lots going on. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.